Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When you visit the tomb of King Tutankhamun, KV-62, you will find paintings on the walls. In the burial chamber, we see images of Tutankhamun's afterlife, his funeral, his ascent to the sky, his meeting with great gods, and the journey he would take every night. You will also find an image of Tutankhamun's successor. On the north wall of the burial chamber, in the right-hand corner, King Tutankhamun appears as a mummy. Standing before him, a priest makes offerings and performs rituals for the dead. This priest is no ordinary priest. He is a pharaoh. The man wears a crown, the blue or kepesh crown. Above his head, a pair of cartouches give his name. The new pharaoh was, quote, Keper Keperu Ra, Eat Netjer Ai. In other words, the high courtier Ai had ascended to the throne and taken power by the time of Tutankhamun's funeral. This image is unique. As far as we know, royal tombs never show a king and his successor together. Temples might show different kings side by side, but tombs? Nope. So far, this image of King Ai before Tutankhamun is unprecedented. It is a curious scene, and given the turmoil of recent events, Ai's appearance in the tomb of Tutankhamun might seem premature. What was he doing? Hello everyone, welcome back to the History of Egypt podcast. Episode 156, Oh I Just Can't Wait to Be King. Today, we begin the last years of Egypt's 18th dynasty. It has been a long road, but the royal house is coming to its end. And one of its last scions, perhaps the last, depending on your point of view, was I, the god's father, a courtier who became pharaoh. A man whose reign marked a turning point in Egypt's political fortunes. It was a curious time. Let's dive in. This episode comes to you on behalf of Anne and Michelle, who kindly joined the Patreon for an entire year. Also Chris, Jory, and Ralph, who also signed up to support the show. Folks, you are all too generous. Your contributions are magnificent and help fund the temples. In turn, the pharaoh's power is legitimized by great gods. He and I thank you. To everyone listening, welcome to the show. I hope you enjoy the story.
The year was 1334 BCE, approximately. It was around April, and the planting season, Peret, was in full swing. Just as farmers prepared the next agricultural cycle, Egypt's government had begun a new royal cycle. The king of Egypt, Tutankhamun, had died. Now, the king of Egypt, I, ruled. I had ascended from the court or government. As far as we know, he was not related to the royal family. There may have been a connection, but we do not have any evidence for it. So that is speculative. At best, we can say that I, a high-ranking official, was influential in the court. Generally, we know I as the God's father, which may denote a priestly role, an educational role in the court, or even a father-in-law relationship to a pharaoh. Again, all of that is open to interpretation. But it seems to have been I's greatest feature as a courtier. The role of God's father gave him prestige, and it may have helped him ascend the throne. The exact date in which I took power is a matter of debate, but looking at the tomb of King Tutankhamun, specifically the flowers buried with him, we can estimate the rough period. Apparently, Tutankhamun went to his rest by the end of winter or early spring, and when that funeral took place, I was already the pharaoh. We know that because he shows up in the burial chamber, so by the time King Tutankhamun was sealed away, I had already ascended. As I mentioned earlier, this image is unprecedented in royal tombs. We don't see a pharaoh with his dead predecessor in funerary art. And in the context, I's appearance in this tomb might seem a little bit inappropriate. But that being said, there is a purpose to this. And if we dive a little bit deeper into the context, we can understand what he was doing. This painting has a purpose, or a symbolic function. By burying his predecessor, I acted like a son, honouring the father. Symbolically, the new pharaoh was Horus, and he was laying to rest his father Osiris. Thus, the burial of Tutankhamun, and I's public participation in that, that was an essential ritual of inheritance. Doing this, I established his legitimacy. He confirmed his right to be the new king. When we see I in the tomb, he already has the costume of Pharaoh. He also has the names. Above his head, I has two cartouches that say, Kepa Keperu Ra, Eat Necher I. This name roughly translates as, Ra is the supreme of manifestations, the god's father, I. This name glorified the sun god specifically the manifestations or appearances of Ra, the Keperu. This was a trend that had carried on for decades. Since the days of Tutmose IV, Egyptian kings had used names that invoked the Keperu of Ra. So I followed a trend that was now 80 years old or more. Apparently, he was conservative in his agenda. The second part of I's name is interesting. Instead of just calling himself I, the new pharaoh was officially named the God's Father I. It seemed the God's Father title was now part of his identity. Why would he do this? 
The simple answer, I think, is that I used his title to strengthen his claim. By emphasizing his origins as a tutor or priest, he could perhaps build on his experience and knowledge of royal affairs. A role like God's father suggested intimacy with the royal family, close access to the secrets of power, and a strong connection with the gods themselves. So this kind of title might have given him a lot of prestige. Perhaps he wanted to double down on that when he became the king. Alternatively, it is possible that the title God's Father indicates some kind of relationship to the crown. The common interpretation is that it might refer to a father-in-law of a pharaoh. Again, that is speculative when it comes to I, but it's a possibility. Either way, the use of God's father in his royal name seems to be a tool. As king, I would emphasize his prestigious origins, and he probably used that to strengthen his legitimacy. Put it all together, and you have an interesting situation. From his first appearance in the tomb of King Tutankhamun, I was building on what came before. As a courtier, he had served the royal household for decades. Now, as pharaoh, he emphasized that background, and perhaps used it to his advantage. When we see the new ruler, Kepa Keperu Ra, in the tomb of Tutankhamun, he has already established himself as the next step in the royal line. So I took power following the death of King Tutankhamun. He became the new pharaoh, and he presented himself as pharaoh on the walls of Tutankhamun's tomb. Hypothetically, that was that. He was now the undisputed master of Egypt. The only question is, what would he do with his power? When I came to the throne, Egypt probably faced several challenges. Firstly, there was conflict. In the north, Canaan and Syria were battlegrounds. The land of Hatti, the kingdom of the Hittites, was expanding, and its warriors pushed against Egyptian influence. I would need to manage that problem as quickly as possible. Secondly, Egypt's government was undergoing transition. A new reign obviously meant new priorities and new relationships. Supporters would need rewards, opponents would be subdued, and I would have to establish his authority to demonstrate his legitimacy as a ruler. He could do this in various ways. The new king could gain credibility through military victories, honouring the gods with monuments and offerings, or building on the legacy of his predecessors. We have already seen him doing one of these. When I depicted himself conducting the rituals for Tutankhamun, he consciously connected his reign with what came before. Soon after taking the throne, he continued that trend. Having buried Tutankhamun, I turned his attention to the monuments left by his predecessor. Since the boy king had died rather unexpectedly, there were still many projects left unfinished. To begin his reign, I invested in those monuments. In certain parts of Karnak and Luxor, King I added to the work already done. Naturally, he put his own name on the new sections, and so we have several monuments with the cartouches of I and Tutankhamun side by side. That makes sense. 
early in his reign, I probably wanted to connect his rule with what came before. If there was any debate or conflict about his coronation, the legacy of Tutankhamun could be a valuable tool. The best example of Ai's connection with Tutankhamun comes from a temple. This was located in the city of Waset, aka Thebes or Luxor, and it may have been a temple to the gods like Amun-Ra, or possibly a temple for King Tutankhamun himself. There is debate on that. Either way, this temple was important for the public imagery and memory of King Tutankhamun. Its name was Hut Nebkeperura M. Waset, aka the estate of Nebkeperura Tutankhamun in Thebes. This temple is lost, only fragments remain, but decorated blocks recovered from the city suggest that Tutankhamun established a beautiful temple in the region. As pharaoh, I continued work on that temple. He added new masonry and decorations. And in this temple, I doubled down on the connection between himself and Tutankhamun. In the decorations, or at least the ones that survive, we see I as a courtier honouring the pharaoh. Then we also see I as king. He appears in his regalia with his cartouches, but he is often associated with Tutankhamun. The idea seems to be that I, Pharaoh Keper Keperura, was the continuation of the previous regime. This makes sense. As we saw recently, I was probably one of the most powerful men in King Tutankhamun's government. From a certain perspective, Ai's reign was a continuation of the earlier system. He had been a high-ranking official before, now he just had a higher position. But in many respects, the government and the officials would have been the same. So it's possible that I emphasised his connection with Tutankhamun because that was true. Having acted and governed on Tutankhamun's behalf, I was now doing the same in his own right. So in some respects, nothing had changed. A couple of names had shifted at the top, but overall, there may have been strong continuity. Anyway, the temple of Hut Nebkeperura M. Waset, the estate of Nebkeperura, was probably incomplete when King Tutankhamun died. Then, builders for King Ai picked up where they had left off, and continued adding to the project. Although the temple is lost, it leaves fascinating clues about the transition. A new reign had begun. I, the god's father, was pharaoh. His early deeds suggest continuity with what came before. First, he identified as Keper Keperu Ra, a name that evoked royal traditions going back 80 years. Then, he depicted himself in the tomb of King Tutankhamun, where he performed rituals for the deceased ruler. Thus, I acted as heir, Horus, to the dead Osiris. Again, it was a form of transition from one generation to another. The fact that I was three times Tutankhamun's age, that didn't matter. Politically, the word of the day was continuity. Then, Ai's early projects carried on the legacy of Tutankhamun, 
he resumed work on a temple dedicated to that ruler. I added to the monument Hut Nebkeperura. He added his own name and image to the temple. But he kept the sanctuary intact, and he kept Tutankhamun's portrait intact. So it seems he wanted to build on his predecessor's regime. That makes sense. I probably orchestrated or participated in many of Tutankhamun's initiatives. Now, as king in his own right, he simply carried on the work. Moving forward, though, there were other concerns. The government still had many projects ongoing, and Egypt may have been facing some challenges. After the break, we will see how I started to deal with those problems. First up, how he satisfied the gods. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. In 1334 BCE, the courtier I became pharaoh. As Keper Keperu Ra, or Ra is supreme of manifestations, the new king would glorify the gods. He would build on the legacy of his predecessor and continue the work he had done in the previous regime. As pharaoh, I dedicated many resources to his hometown. Now, I's origins are technically murky. We know he was prominent and influential under kings Tutankhamun and Akhenaten. But where did he actually come from? That is a bit uncertain. Fortunately, we do have some clues. I probably came from Middle Egypt, specifically a town called Kent Menu. The modern name is Akmin or Akmim. Point is, Kent Menu or the Shrine of Men seems to be I's original home. We can guess that because I constructed monuments in the town. In fact, some of the best records for I as pharaoh comes from this area. To get a sense of this pharaoh's agenda, let's visit Kent Menu, Akmen, and see how I, as king, established his identity. The town of Kent Menu was sacred to Min. Min, or Menu, is a male deity whose power lay in fertility. Min could improve sexual potency and increase the chances of bearing children. In the age of King Ai, Min was a prominent and prestigious god, so worshipping Min was a valuable exercise. Many kings honoured this deity, but King Ai went further than most. As part of his royal projects, Ai added to Min's temples, in the town of Kentmenu, Akmin, I erected colossal statues for the god. One of these statues survives, 
It shows a woman, a queen. She stands, left foot forward, with an arm crossed over her chest. Her crown is tall, a pair of feathers atop a cap. Broadly speaking, the queen looks like a late 18th dynasty royal woman. A classic portrait for the time. This statue probably depicts Tay, Ai's wife before his coronation, and then his queen. We do not know much about Tay, except that she also worked in the court of Akhenaten and Nefertiti. In fact, she worked directly for Queen Nefertiti, acting as a wet nurse and tutor, or menad. So, like I, Tay was a well-connected member of the court. Now, she was queen. Tay's portrait often shows up with King I. Statues depict the couple side by side. And this giant statue at Akmin shows her alone. Apparently, Tay was prominent in Ai's reign, and she had an active place in his court. It's not much to go on for a personality, but at least we know something about her. And this statue's presence at Akmin gives a hint to the royal couple's origins. Today, this colossal statue no longer depicts Tay. A later king altered the names to represent one of his daughters. But Egyptologists can tell that it's Tay based on the design of the statue. The face is totally different from later styles, but it does match those of Ai and his royal art. So although Tay's statue got borrowed by someone else, today we can tell it's her. Credit where credit is due. Ai added to Min's temple, and some of his statuary survives. But there was more. To the east of this town, Ai started building a new temple. He commissioned a monument in the cliffs east of Kent Menu. This temple would be a speos, a monument cut directly into the rock itself. We have encountered speos temples before. The great king Hatshepsut had established her own speos in the same region. Well, I was adding a new one. I's temple would honour Min, and he inscribed the temple with texts glorifying Min and indicating his agenda. Along the way, I gave us clues to his connection with this town. Quote, So it happened that Kepa Keparu Ra, the one who does Ma'at, the son of Ra, the god's father I, was the effective king in the entire land. One day, his majesty was looking for good things, to satisfy all the gods, to improve their sanctuaries, and to make their offering on earth. His majesty spoke to the nobles and the companions who were beside him. He said, My heart yearned for the city of my father, Min, the one whose feathers are high, he who is in the Senet. I will build great monuments, millions of times, for my god, he who established the two lands. I will embellish Min's temple with works of eternity. I will satisfy his mother, Isis. I will praise Horus, the protector of his father, the one who subdues the nine bows for me. I do this, for I am the god's protector, their effective son, who is devoted to them. End quote. This text is long and a bit dry, but the essentials are noteworthy. Apparently, King Ai emphasised his effectiveness and generosity to the gods. That's classic stuff, and in the days of Tutankhamun, the royal government had made the same proclamation. 
Again, this emphasizes how I's reign was a continuation of Tutankhamun's. Having worked in that government, and now leading his own, I carried on the same policies. In this case, he devoted resources to Min, his father, quote-unquote, the one who established the two lands of Egypt. So, I was paying his dues to an important god, and apparently he was giving resources to a deity that blessed him and his home. If Min helped the land to flourish, I would honour him with worship. So the text gives a sense of why I established a temple in the town of Akmin. Part of the text also focuses on the city itself. I was not just establishing a temple, he was also contributing to the local economy. The builders would need payment, and resources would flow to the city from royal treasuries. Also, the temple was going to need farmland. So, hypothetically, the king was investing in local work and growth. At least, that's what the text proclaims. On the walls of this temple, the aristocrats and nobles praise King Ai, and they offer their hopes for the city's future growth. Quote, May you, O king, realize your plans. May you provide this city, Akmin, with new lands. It is the city of your father Min, whose feathers are high. May you cause that this city becomes a copy of Memphis, the city of the first moment, of Pitar. End quote. Wow. People hoped that Kent Menu, or Akmin, would become as glorious as Egypt's capital. The community could grow to be like Memphis in the north. We take this with a grain of salt, but you get the idea. I's building project was marketed as a grand investment in the community. Proclamations like this communicated the king's agenda, or at least the agenda he was putting out into the public sphere. Dedicating monuments to men, honouring other gods, those were valuable efforts. But they also benefited I. Like Tutankhamun before him, I could appear as a ruler who helped Egypt flourish. So the new temple gave the king prestige, and I doubled down on that. In fact, the texts from this temple basically call I a messiah. Quote, Every person says, The one whose coming was awaited is doing ma'at. He, the king, knows that the gods' hearts are satisfied with making good things for the future. Posterity will say, How favoured was the time of the ruler, he whose crowns are dazzling. You, King I, put all the country back together when it had fallen. You anchored it to the ground when it was drowning. End quote. Yeesh, that's a hero complex to rival Bono or Michael Jackson. The speeches go on and on, praising I and glorifying his deeds. It gets a bit much. Eventually, I is credited with saving Egypt from drowning. I presume that is a metaphor, unless the Nile had been flooding quite high recently. It's hard to say. The king is credited with making good things, or benefactions, that will endure, and the gods are pleased because they can see the future. They know how glorious this reign will be, how fabulous the memory of I will become. I's temple is not unique. 
As I mentioned earlier, there are similar monuments in nearby towns. King Hatshepsut had established her own rock temple, or Speos, and King Tutmos III had also commissioned work near Kent Menu, the place where I was building his temple. So once again, the new pharaoh appeared as a continuation of what came before. He was nothing new, he was traditional. Publicly, he really emphasized that idea. This temple may not sound like much, and fair enough. Today, it's a crumbling wreck, and not exactly a tourist draw. But from what remains, we do get a sense of Ai's public agenda, and the references he makes to Min and this town suggest that probably Ai came from this region. His focus on Min, the one he calls his father, quote-unquote, seems to suggest that Ai was a local. Apparently, when he became king, Ai gave back to his place of birth. He invested in a new monument and established new economic growth for the community. And along the way, he took the opportunity to glorify himself. This temple may not sound like much, but it does give a sense of King Ai. The reign of Ai, Keper Keperu Ra, began conservatively. He carried on projects started by Tutankhamun, and he used a name that followed a royal tradition. As king, his building projects were modest. Some new statues at Kent Menu, or Akmin, and a rock-cut temple nearby. He praised himself for these deeds, and suggested he was a saviour for Egypt. In this sense, I did what countless rulers had done before. He claimed that Egypt, and the gods, had suffered in the recent past. Now, he would restore balance. He would make Egypt flourish. He would fix all problems. It is the language of any monarch, or would-be dictator, ruling in difficult times. And the reign of I was going to be difficult indeed. Next time, we explore the crises afflicting Egypt. Conflicts in the north were burning hot, and the king would need experienced generals to calm the situation. At the same time, I would have to deal with a rival, the other candidate for Egypt's kingship. The general of generals Horemheb was still around. Next time, we will see how these two men, titans in their respective fields, dealt with one another. Thank you for listening to the History of Egypt podcast. Special gratitude must go to Stephen, Niden, Kyla, Evan, Kendra, Jason, Andy and Chelsea, Lintz, Mykost, Yola, TJ, Terry and Linda. These wonderful people are priests on Patreon.com. Their kindness helps me to build statues for my fiancé, save my country from drowning, and, of course, glorify the greatest of all gods, the one called Bono. 
priests, you are most generous. To everyone listening, thank you for joining me. I hope you have enjoyed this story. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.